Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. This is The Courage Effect. And I am very excited for my guest today because she is somebody that really has made a big mission in her life to be mindfulness and meditation. This is something that has been key for me in my growth um, and just being a happier human overall. And I definitely think that it is threaded in with courage. So let's have a conversation with today's guest, who is Laura Sage. Laura Sage is the founder and CEO of Chill, whose mission is to support mental well-being in the workplace. Laura created Chill when she couldn't find a modern meditation studio in Chicago. She went to business school at Kellogg and then worked in investment banks and a relative value hedge fund for over a decade. And it was at that point that she discovered meditation. Realizing that professionals were both intimidated or apprehensive to try meditation, she created Chill in 2017 and launched Chill Anywhere, a customizable B2B app. Laura is dedicated to helping support mental well-being for all. She and the Chill team are committed to helping people live less stressed, more mindful lives. And Laura is also the co-founder of the Lynn Sage Breast Cancer Foundation, which funds innovative breast cancer researchers and their education. Laura, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to The Courage Effect. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and um, having me be here to chat with you. Oh, pleasure. I mean, one of the things, as I said in the intro, mindfulness has been a key part of my life and in me being courageous. So I'm curious, as we start to talk about courage for you, I'm sure mindfulness is going to be woven in here. How do you define courage? Well, interesting that you asked that because I took a moment for our conversation to um, look up what the dictionary says about courage. And um, I was a little surprised by the second definition. The first definition was um, to do something frightening. And that that's the way I usually think of courage. But the second definition, which was strength in the face of pain or grief, really resonated with me as um, an entrepreneur, as a woman, and seemed particularly relevant as I'd like to tie this conversation into mindfulness. That's great. Um, it's so interesting, something that you're frightened of, but I do like the idea of it being, I mean, grief, you know, how do, how do we sort of orchestrate that energy and how do we really show up to who we want to be in that moment? And that is such a huge part of what mindfulness is. Yeah, well, for me in particular, mindfulness has helped me tackle pain, discomfort in grief and frame those emotions differently in a way that allows me to perhaps on the outside exhibit strength, but persevere and have resilience. And mm -hmm. so that's um, really how I find these to be for me on a personal level, incredibly intertwined. Yeah. I know that when we were speaking earlier, you were talking about the seven tenets of mindfulness and that being a pretty core guidepost or set of guideposts for you. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would love to. So John Kabat-Zinn is considered like the mindfulness uh, expert on a contemporary level, right? And so he's done a very good job of synthesizing ancient practices that have to be incredibly powerful in um, a way that we in a contemporary, more medical sort of uh, academic way can digest it, which is great because it opens up mind 
a broader audience. And I love that. But his seven pillars of mindfulness are, and I'll just, I'll just go over them and then we can talk about them in more detail if you have interest, is non-judgment, patience, applying a beginner's mind to everything you do, trust, um, which is a lot to unpack, non-striving, which is something that I, I still need to practice a lot of, acceptance, and, and then the seventh is letting go. And in particular, in the context of courage and facing pain, so many of these are applicable. I mean, just to, to delve into one, when I think of applying non-judgment, sometimes people initially think of that as not judging others. But in fact, I'm a big advocate of promoting self-care. And one of the very first ways that you can take better care of yourself is to treat yourself the way you would treat others. Um, you are a kind woman. Most of the people listening to this are probably kind humans. And my gut is that most of us probably judge ourselves with a much higher bar and with much more critique than we would others. As a for instance, so if we're going through a difficult time and we're not feeling good, um, to try to take a pause, reflect, give ourselves um, permission to not be perfect, it's a really good way to help, you know, I guess, demonstrate courage and to persevere and to, to move forward with the day and moment. Yeah, I, I love what you're talking about with, with self-compassion, really, and the idea of just understanding that things are going to happen and we need to we need to be as adaptable as we can and not judge ourselves in the process. Yeah, well, that allows us to persevere, which is, I, I think, in some ways, uh, similar to this concept of, of having courage, right? Courage to continue to persevere, to do what you're doing because you, you um, have obviously gone on this journey for a particular reason. Yeah. Well, and I'm also thinking about you. I know you you have a meditation studio in Chicago, and I know that during the pandemic, that was obviously something that was quite challenged. And you and the chill team were, I mean, pivoting. I know there's always the word pivot, but um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that from you, because I'm sure that was quite a moment of courage for both you and the chill team. Sure. So try to tell the quick story, but we started in 2017, as you noted, as a physical studio in downtown Chicago, which is where I'm talking to you from right now. And um, we, we had a concept which was similar to people will be familiar with a soul cycle or core power yoga, which is a studio where you would go in and instead of exercising your body, you would exercise your mind. We were open seven days a week. We had both mindfulness, gentle yoga classes, something we called no need to get naked massage, as well as highly curated retail. And our mission was then and continues to be to help people live less stressed, more mindful lives. Even before the pandemic, we noted that a lot of businesses were approaching us and asking us to help teach lessons that were rooted in mindfulness and mental well-being to their employees, in some cases to their clients, but most often to their employees. And because of that, we had decided to start building an app, which is called Chill Anywhere was intended only to be for the business community. But when the pandemic hit, fortunately the app was already built. We were doing beta testing for it. And so we closed our studio. We had to in Chicago, we had to do that. Um, but we doubled down on virtual programming in particular via our app. So um, that is an example of um, what I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through, which is the best laid plans and needing to pivot and not being 
um, so rooted in past plans or future visions and paying attention to the present moment and then figuring out how to, to act. That's just one morsel of an example of um, what we as a team did. Yeah, well, and how great was it that you were already creating that app before everything <laughs> everything yeah. went, went, turned out to be, you know, I mean, what, dumpster fire, whatever you want to call it. There's so many different versions of that. Yeah, but, but between launch and, um, well, the initiation of, of the pandemic and launch of the app at a more B2C as well as B2B level, there were a lot of free Instagram programming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also it's, I love that. I love your app. I mean, I've been using it for years and I love the fact that, I mean, mindfulness for me is, is quite a private thing, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't necessarily want to do it with other people, but the, the convenience of that and being able to do what really works for me, because I do think that, I mean, you know, you talked about non-judging being one of the core tenets of mindfulness. There's a lot of judgment around mindfulness and meditation, I believe. There, there is, um, and when we first started Chill, we intentionally opened our studio with a design concept, which we have done our best to take to the app as well, which was very simple. So our studio had white walls, wood floors. We chose blue as um, our accent color. And the idea was we wanted to someone to come into the space and have it be a, almost a blank canvas. We didn't want to evoke any preconceptions. So. I happen to like sage green. I like Buddhas, um, but we intentionally didn't put any of what you might consider to be traditional mindfulness meditation accents in the space. Be and, and we didn't put a lot of embellishments of any type in the space because um, people do come with preconceptions and we wanted um, everybody to get out of the space, whatever it is that they wanted and not to be distracted. Yeah. Well, and I do think it takes a lot of courage to to be mindful. I mean, to actually to to accept that that's something that you want to be doing, that you want to be spending a little bit more time on paying attention to what really matters for you in that moment. Yeah, it takes um, well, it takes patience and it takes practice, right? So patience is one of the other tenants. Practice isn't, but um, coming to every practice with a beginner's mind and humility and remembering that the more often that you practice mindfulness the more mindful of a human you can be and i can only speak from my personal experience but it really helps i feel like it helps me be a better leader it helps me be more courageous it helps me um be a better employee when i'm when i'm collaborating with other people yeah, I so agree with you. And the idea of, I mean, I'm thinking about the last two tenets that you mentioned, acceptance and letting go. So the idea of, you know, what having, you know, knowing what you can control and what you can't control, what you have the power to change, but also letting go. I really think it takes a lot of courage to just, you know, leave something behind. Every time I think of that tenant, I think of the, um, the Kenny Rogers song, like, know when to hold them, know when to fold. <laughs> the gambler. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. I have seen, just to get this back to entrepreneurship, you're an entrepreneur, I would call myself one at this point as well. I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs get very rigid and you know, they say like fall in love with their own cooking. 
and not know when an idea isn't working and needs to either pivot or be folded. And I think that that letting go is really wrapped up in ego. And sometimes that ego can be confidence, which you want, and sometimes it can be really problematic. Yeah. And that's especially with, I mean, entrepreneurs and founders, right? I mean, that's a big, and, and I, falling in love with your own cooking. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to steal that from you. I'm just saying that right now. I was the uh, adventure, adventure of that, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I would love to, we have to cut for a break. So, but when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship and where courage comes in, because I think what you're talking about is not just having confidence in those ideas that you have, but also the humility, right? The courage to be humble and the courage to not be as rigid in your thinking. So let's take a quick break. We will be right back. Hey everybody, it's Suzanne from The Courage Effect. As the seasons changed, I poked into my closet and discovered how stale my wardrobe had become. Everything felt boring and I wanted something different and fresh. I grabbed my laptop and remembered armoire. Why not clothing rental? I could experiment with new styles from jeans to something fancy without spending a ton of money and buying clothes I would only wear a handful of times. Armoire makes clothing rental easy. Build the perfect seasonal wardrobe with brands that are unique, sustainably sourced, and owned by women. All you have to do is take the style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, and they will ship them straight to your door. Armoire allows me to indulge in high quality designer clothing with no guilt. They promote sustainability with fewer items ending up in the donation bag and landfill and no dry cleaning fees. Trust me, your cramp closet and the environment will thank you. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you must try Armoire. And right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style, that's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash the courage effect to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne Weller, and my guest today is Laura Sage. We've been having a conversation about mindfulness and courage, and we also then went to a place of talking about entrepreneurship. And Laura, I'm curious for you, when we talk about courage and being an entrepreneur, there's some obvious ones as far as being bold in your ideas and doing something new and innovating and potentially also bringing disruption to the table. But how do you how do you see this as an entrepreneur? Um, what are the things that you've really done that you feel have been courageous? And maybe where would you where would you like to have more? Well, Suzanne, you and I have had this conversation before, but I think being an entrepreneur is a very challenging journey. It can be very rewarding, and um, I don't mean to be discouraging of others doing it, but I think sometimes it's a little overrated and over glamorized, and I think people have this conception that if you're your own boss, then your time is your own. And in a sense it is, but in fact, I believe if you're a good boss, you're part of a team, you're a collaborator, (laughs) excuse me, you're a collaborator and everybody is your responsibility. And that is a large, um, I don't want to say burden, but it's a big responsibility. And the successes are yours to share and the failures tend to be yours. So I think that 
I underestimated how challenging being an entrepreneur would be. And I think it's important if others become entrepreneurs that they think there's more that they might be able to get out of it than just the um, monetary rewards. Because in fact, the odds of having monetary success are very small. Um, there are other incredible rewards to being an entrepreneur, um, such as meeting exceptional people, exceptional people that have skills that you don't have. In the case of Chill, I am so incredibly lucky because I bring contentment and um, emotions that feel good to other people. So that is exceptional. But if people are just looking at becoming an entrepreneur because they want to be their own boss, they want to have their own schedule, they hopefully want to have financial rewards, I really discourage it. Well, yeah. Well, and it's it's eyes wide open, right? The idea of if you go into it, how can you potentially get as much information as you can to know where your time is going to be spent? Because I do agree with you. There is that glamorized version of, oh, my time, I can do whatever I want. And yes, but then with that goes the burden <laughs> of every everything with the responsibility of the business. And as you said, both the successes and failures are yours. And what I'm also hearing from you is that it's not just about creating the business, but it's about sustaining it. The, the, the concept, right? That moment of inception where you have an idea that you want to pursue in um, some cases is one of the more easy ideas. It's then actually executing on that. And what we talked about a little bit earlier is there is inevitably going to be a pivot, right? Everybody's pivot could be different. In the case of a global pandemic, that's something that might be more shared. I think more often than not, pivots are unique. And in the case of chill, it's been way more than just one. So I think that's inevitable. Some people have a really hard time with change. So to be a successful entrepreneur, I think you have to become comfortable with the inevitable change, not having control of that. With mindfulness, we always talk about paying attention to the present moment. So being able to, to abandon the past, not focus too much on the future, although as a business leader, you need to do that and think about the here and now and what you can do for your business and filter out some of the other things that I'll call noise to have the business persevere. Yeah. And also, I mean, what I'm hearing from you too, is the idea of, of passion, right? I mean, like we do, we do what we do because we love it, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard. For sure. It is hard. It is hard almost every single day. I wake up and wonder what, what problems am I going to solve today? And if those problems are going to cause me angst, um, and I come at it with an attitude like that, I'm going to be miserable every every single day. If I come at it more as um, this is creative and this is my job and I want to, to make things better and improve them, whether it be curing something that's wrong or advancing something that's fine but could be more elevated, then all of a sudden it's fun. It's like doing a puzzle or a game versus being a, a firefighter when you're ill-equipped. Yeah. So reframing, reframing what, what the challenges are and what you're actually giving rise to by solving those problems at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and I think that that is, to tie this back to mindfulness, a lot of what I have been able to lean in to and learn. So whereas, as we talk about courage and we talk about doing things in the face of fear or pain, if we can reframe uh, 
and, and it's honest. It's not, it's not playing mind games with ourselves. There are always many different perspectives to a moment. So if we can reframe it in a way that has um, an element of positivity or learning or trust, um, why not choose that angle? Yeah. Well, it's making me think about, you know, I mean, Buddha and, and suffering, right? I mean, like life is about suffering. We want to minimize it. So, um, so how do we get comfortable with being able to at least live in a certain amount of that and, and minimize it at the same time, potentially for ourselves and others? Yeah, or, or learn from it. Yes. You know, there's a, there's a, a saying in finance about not letting a crisis go to waste, right? But it's, it resonates, right? You're not in your head. It makes sense. Like if, if you're in the midst of something that's unpleasant, that has crisis status to it, let's, let's learn from it. Let's um, demonstrate that we're above it and um, hopefully mitigate something similar in the future. Yeah. I, what's servicing for me also is trust. I mean, I know we also talked about that as being one of the tenants. Um, and I'm thinking about trusting yourself because when we get into these moments uh, or trusting the process. So thoughts on that? Yeah, there's so much to unpack with, with that pillar or tenant, right? Um, I always think of it in terms of ourselves, but also in the case of being an entrepreneur, trusting your team. What the, the Laura from 20, 30 years ago would have just done everything myself. But when you're growing a business, that doesn't work. So cultivating a group of people around you that you trust and, and can empower to do things themselves is really important. And then you want to get a little bit more esoteric. It's trusting that the building blocks that you've put in place and the humans that you've put in place and the energy you've expended, um, trust the universe to a certain extent. Yeah. That's a little woo woo, but, um, but I believe in all of those things. You need to trust your team, uh, have faith in in what you've done, and then there is an element of, um, you know, people call it good luck, call it what you want. So on on the topic of it, that potentially being seen as woo woo by some people, I mean, you're selling meditation into organizations and into businesses. So what have what have been some of the biggest challenges with that? Now, what you'd think in terms of the woo-woo woo thing, you know, we we address that head-on with our our branding and our language, and um, so when we had a physical studio, we would sometimes have corporations come in and actually visit the studio before they engaged with us in a, a larger scale enterprise experience. But um, I would say the challenges right now are more businesses and budget. So. Um, HR teams are spread quite thin. Yeah. Uh, on the positive side, the stigma around mental well-being and mental well-being exercises is, is considerably, is, the stigma is, is more broken than not at this point in a positive sense, that people are willing to discuss mental well-being, in particular, the younger generation. So that's a positive. The negative is HR teams are spread really thin, and there are a lot of other competing well-being services that require their attention. So sometimes it's just a matter of having a champion within a business who is going to help um, help us be exposed to the employees. Yeah. It works if people work it. 
So that's what we're always advocating for. I don't think I have to convince people that mental well-being exercises, mindfulness, or even um, the content that we create is good. It's helping with engagement. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you is that I know that, you know, it, people in HR, that's one of the hardest businesses or hardest jobs out there in organizations right now. I mean, it always has been, but particularly now. And yes, just resources being spread more thinly. I'm curious for you, um, how, what are the things that you do to take care of, of your team? Well, um, we actually practice mindfulness together as a team before every team meeting. You know, I'm really lucky because I have access to some of the best guides on the planet. We do that. Um, I am a big advocate for my team as well as the world of preventative medicine, you know, both in the concept of my nonprofit with cancer, but also in particular with, I know that if people practice mindfulness, that it can um, preempt a lot of much more serious mental well-being problems. And so um, I try to bring that to every single day with my team. Um, and there are a myriad of different ways that we do that. But I am here as a leader to help make sure that my team uh, feels um, as supported as possible in terms of their well-being. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, yes, as you said, you do have some of the best guides around. So shout out to Darren, who I'm <laughs> I'm a big fan of, and there's many other ones too. Um, but that's that's I think one of the other really beautiful things is that you are also creating community with what you do. And if it's like I talked about it being a little bit private, but there's also you do some of the live meditations and live events. So there is something that's really nice about that in letting people explore a little bit more, not only on their own but with others. Well. As I said, it's about people actually ingesting the mindfulness and people do that in a lot of different ways. So we call ourselves omni-channel because somebody could find us on LinkedIn Learning, they could subscribe to our app, they could hire us for a one, one and done session. Uh, we do have a small physical studio in Chicago right now. They could come visit us there. It's all about the practice of mindfulness, however it's best for, for you, the practitioner. Yeah, such a great reminder. It's not it's a powerful thing, but it's also what we make of it. So so um as we wrap up, I just want to share a few things that I heard you say. I mean, we really talked through the seven tenets of mindfulness and how those really thread into courage, how we can potentially be moving away from rigid thinking because we have to be really adaptable to change overall. And the importance of cultivating people around you that are people that you can trust because you also need to know that you can't do everything at the end of the day. And that takes courage to trust other people. So Laura, thank you so much for being here. Suzanne, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we'll have information about you and chill on the Courage Effect website. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Stay courageous.